Is this a wonderful day or what? I tell you, I think fall is right around the corner here somewhere. Um, I would li like to uh, restate um, something about the uh, Apple Harvest Festival coming up this uh, coming weekend. Where we'll be in the, you know, the parade. We'll have the float. I think we've had a float in the parade all except one year uh, since we've been here. And this coming Sunday will be the 36th anniversary of Faith Living Church. You know, we've been here. So we're, we're thrilled up about that. Um, also, I made mention uh, right back after VBA about a little elevator that we're putting in over here. And uh, it's taken us uh, a little while to kind of jump through all the hoops and, and get all the information down. But hopefully I'll be able to share all the details about putting in that little elevator this coming weekend. Hopefully we can do that. Because uh, I know there's some people who've, who've had uh, issues and they needed some assistance getting in our building on a regular basis. And sometimes we go through a little, uh, uh, you know, surgical procedure and we need that assistance. And there's a lot of us who might need that little assistance every once in a while, right? And everybody says, amen, yes. So uh, we'll be talking more about that this coming uh, uh, weekend. But we've been talking about anger. This is actually... Uh, part five, and, and we're going to wrap up our theme of anger this weekend. You know, you, you could remove the A-N-G-E-R, and just by looking at the force of the pen down there, it looks like anger, doesn't it? You know, it's like putting too much pressure, thing. things are falling apart and breaking and, and so forth. But I would like to wrap it up and, um, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of a review, r reminding us that we've already learned that the Bible says that foolishness, uh, you know, abides in the bosom of an angry person. You know, that's what God says about it. He, he forbids us to call anybody a fool, but he says if you're a person given to anger, eh, there's a lot of foolishness there. We've learned in the scripture that the devil puts his foot in our door. If we don't settle anger before we go to bed, <clears throat> it says we give the devil a mighty foothold into our life. We know John 10, 10 says the devil, when he comes, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Everything is valuable, you know. Uh, he will try to destroy everything that's valuable to us if we do not let our anger be settled before the sun goes down. And there's so many things we're going to talk about even today. A little bit of review, a little bit of new material, but I, I'll, I'll promise you this, is that it will dynamically impact your life, even if you've already got it all down pat and got it worked out. Um, it's an area that so many people wrestle with, with anger and resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness and nursing a grudge that you'll have opportunity to help a lot of people just by knowing what God's word has to say about this topic. Some people think, well, anger ain't that big of a do, but it really is. And it has tremendous consequences in our life once we're given to anger. So let's look at um, Acts chapter 24, verse 16. Oh, but first let me share this says, 90% of the friction of daily life is caused by the wrong tone of voice. You know what I'm talking about? Now, you know, isn't your voice the tone? Isn't it important? You know, you can tell your wife, 
Yes, honey. Or you can say, yes, honey. Does it mean the same thing? Does it mean the same thing? No. Same words. If someone was just texting what you said, that would be in capital letters, you know, kind of things like. So tone is really important because we pick up anger. We sense that, you know. Anyhow, it says in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, it says, and this, this is the Apostle Paul here who uh, we, we read a lot of different things about him last week, things where he had a just cause to be upset and offended at God, all the things that he got involved with sharing the gospel, and then he was shipwrecked three times a night and a day, clinging to a board in the deep. He was stoned. He was whipped. Unnumber. I mean, you couldn't count every stripe that was on his body, all the imprisonments, all the beatings, all the, the things that he went through just for serving God. He could have said, God, why did you let this happen to me? But he said, in, in Acts 24, 16, he says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience, void of offense, void of anger toward God and toward man. Truth of it is, we must exercise our conscience to be void of offense. And, and the essence of it, we must forgive. We must forgive everyone in order to have a clear conscience. A conscience is void of offense, empty of offense. We must forgive. You know, if you want to stay physically fit and spiritually fit, you must forgive. If you don't forgive, the door is open for the devil to bring all kinds of havoc into your life and in, into in, everything that's valuable to you in your life. Angry, cynical people die young. Men who score high for hostility on standard tests are four times more likely to die prematurely than men whose scores are low. Anger affects us. The medical world tells us this over and over and over. You know, if you do an injury <clears throat> to someone, you know, it puts you below, you know, uh, your enemy. If you revenge an injury, somebody insults you and you insult them back, that puts you on the same level playing field. You're just like them. But if you forgive an injury, it puts you above them. And that's the best place to be. You want to be below your enemy, <laughs> you know? You, you want to be on the same level playing field just like them, or you want to be above them? We kind of have a choice there. When Abraham Lincoln had to write a letter to someone who had irritated him, he would often write two letters. This is an interesting concept here. The first letter was deliberately insulting. Now, you might enjoy writing that one. And then having gotten those feelings out of his system, he would tear it up and write a second letter. This one, tactful and discreet. The fact that he needed to get this out of him, you know, just dump it out on a piece of paper and then tear it up and throw it away. You know, he got it out because it was bothering him. And then he was able to have the wisdom to write uh, a wise, uh, discreet, very tactful letter. You know, uh, anger has a tendency to spread. I don't know if you've seen that in your, your own life, but it does. In the, spring of 19, in the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a routine baseball game. But what happened that day 
was anything but routine. The Orioles, John McCraw, he was angry. And because of this, he got into a fight with the Boston third baseman. Within minutes, all the players from both teams had joined into the brawl. The warfare quickly spread to the grandstands. And among the fans, the conflict went from bad to worse. Someone set fire to the stands. And the entire ballpark burned down to the ground. Not only that, but the fire spread to 107 other Boston buildings and burned them down. Just because anger was released and it had a tendency to spread. You go, wow, that much destruction because somebody was angry. Yes, it has a tendency to spread. Well, let's look at what it says here in Matthew 18, verse 21. <clears throat> it says, Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And that was a, a noble suggestion, you know. It was really a noble suggestion. Um, Benjamin Franklin once said, he said, anger is never without a reason, but it seldom has a good reason. We get anger, angry for all kinds of reasons, not necessarily good ones. Anyhow, they, they got angry back in those days, and Jesus was being questioned by Peter. How often should I forgive? How many times? You know, uh, seven times? Is that, is that pretty good, huh? He was kind of looking for a pat on the back, I think. And anyhow, verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And that's 490 times in a single day for the same offense. Then you start all over counting the next day, which basically that would never, you'd never get that number. So it's just like any time you're offended, just forgive. Verse 23 says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven. And this right here is, is worth us coming together to discover what's hidden in these next few passages. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, there are great theologians who have gotten together and determined how much a talent is worth, whether it's a talent of silver or a talent of gold. The Amplified Bible comes to a conclusion through all of its research, and it explains to us that this 10,000 talents equaled $10 million. Can you imagine $10 million back then? I mean, $10 million is a lot of money, isn't it? Today, how much was it back then? Here's a guy who owed that. Well, he was involved with the king and the, the treasury. He had access to it. <clears throat> so it says, And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, $10 million. <clears throat> but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, that payment be made. Now, they're not going to get $10 million for selling him, his wife, and children, and, and selling his possessions. But it was like, you know, kind of cutting my losses, I'll get something back out of it. That was what his plan was. Verse 26 says, The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, 
have patience with me and I will pay you all. Could he ever paid off $10 million back in that day? No way. No way. I mean, this was an impossible uh, task, but he's begging, please have mercy upon me. Anyhow, verse 27 it says, the master of that servant was moved with compassion. And he released him and he forgave him the debt. I mean, how would you like somebody to forgive all the money that you might owe? Forgave him $10 million debt. Pretty amazing. I mean, would that change your life? Would it make you loving and kinder? Not necessarily. Well, not based upon this passage anyhow. <clears throat> it goes on to say that he released him in verse 28. But that servant, he didn't go out and talk to his family about it. He didn't go out and, you know, have a little news conference about how good his master king was. No, it says, but that servant went out. This is what he wanted to do. And found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And based upon the same calculations that the Amplified Bible applied to learn the value of that, that was about 20 bucks. There's somebody owed him 20 bucks. He'd just been forgiven a $10 million debt. He goes out looking for, finds a guy who owed him 20 bucks. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. It seemed like it might have been a little bitterness, a little bit of anger, a little bit of unforgiveness going on here, you know? Let me digress for just a moment. One morning, Ralph Milton woke up at 5 o'clock to a noise that sounded like someone repairing boilers on his roof. Still in his pajamas, he went into the backyard. Oh, man, I got all kinds of water up here. Thank you. <clears throat> you know what? I'll just have some of that now. How come you took my water? I'm just teasing, brother. Thank you. <clears throat> it says, uh, <clears throat> still in his pajamas, he went out into the backyard to investigate this noise on his roof. He found a woodpecker on the TV antenna pounding his little brains out on the metal pole. <laughs> now you think, oh, a woodpecker wouldn't peck a metal pole. Let me tell you, since we live where we live now, many times, dozens and dozens of times, we have been awakened by a woodpecker right outside our window pecking on a metal gutter. I don't know if he's like trying to play a tune on it or what. Brrr, you know, over and over. Is that right? It's happened a lot of times. So I identify with this guy. <clears throat> Anyhow, angry at the little creature who ruined his sleep, Ralph picked up a rock. And he threw it at the woodpecker. Well, he missed the woodpecker. The rock sailed over the house, and he heard a distant crash of his windshield and of his car. <laughs> In utter disgust, Ralph took a vicious kick at a clot of dirt. Only afterwards did he remember that he was barefooted, and I think he probably broke his toe, you know. You know what? Anger... Anger. I mean, I'm not saying you should leave the woodpecker up there, but anger, it, it has bad consequences. When we move and, and react, you know, because of anger, it doesn't go well with us. Well, going back over here, the verse uh, uh, 29, 
Well, let me go back to verse 28. It says, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, or twenty bucks, and he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and he begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. He said the exact same words the first servant said to the, the, the king, the master. Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. He owed 20 bucks. Would it have been possible for him to pay the 20 bucks back? Given some time, he could have paid it back. The other guy would have never been able to pay $10 million back, you know. So it says in verse 30, and he would, and Jesus is telling this story. If you have a red letter edition Bible, these words are in, in red. He says, and he would not. He went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. I mean, how foolish is that? I mean, how easy is it to pay a debt off when you're in prison, you know? Verse 31 says, so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and they told their master. They said, you know the guy that you paid all? You know, you, you forgive me if it's dead. You know what he did? Verse 32. Then his master, after, had, after he had called him, said to him, you a wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt, $10 million worth, because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? Should he have? Yes. Well, you know what? We can see a parallel here. God has forgiven us for so much in our lives. He's forgiven us and he's cleansed us of all of our sin and written our name in the book of eternal life. He's forgiven us. Should we not forgive those who've hurt us in any way? I mean, nobody owes us as much as we owed God because of our sin. He kept us out of heaven. And God forgave us. And we should do likewise. And we should forgive those who've hurt us. Even if it was really very painful, we should forgive them. But listen to what he goes on saying. Jesus is talking here. And it says, And his master, who had forgiven him, took back the pardon. And his master was angry, and he delivered him to the, what's that word? Torturers. Torturers. You say, well, this can't be right. God wouldn't do that. Why wouldn't he? And his master was angry. Jesus is telling the story, and he delivered the guy who wouldn't forgive the $20 debt. He delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And you know what the torturers are? In another translation, it says the tormentors. Sickness, disease, poverty, chaos, confusion. Now, just because you're sick does not mean that you've done something wrong. We live in a world, a fallen state. But when we bear anger and resentment and unforgiveness, it does add a lot more, you know, tortures to us. You go, Pastor Ron, you, you can't really apply that passage to us today, can we? Well, let's look at the next verse and see. Verse 35 says, and this is Jesus talking. He says, so my heavenly father also will do to you, turn you over to the torturers, if each of you, each one from his heart, not just by words, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. If you've got unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness in your heart toward any soul on this planet, you have been tortured. 
There's things happening in your life that should never have happened. And when you're bitter and you're resentful and you're unforgiveness, and you can tell, you gossip about people, that shows you there's anger. There's anger, there's unresolved issues there. God gives us a day to deal with it. But if, if you're you know, talking about something somebody did to you and you're gossiping, you've not forgiven, you see. And, and, and we open up some really horrible consequences. Jesus said, the Father in heaven will turn us over to the torturers if we don't forgive others after all he has forgiven us. Pretty amazing when you think about it. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be turned over to the torturers. Do you? But if you're resentful, you're bitter, you're nursing a grudge, somebody, and, and I'm not saying what somebody did to you was right. It's not making it right. It was wrong, it was dead wrong, but we must forgive to be like our Father in heaven if we want to receive forgiveness for him. And if we don't forgive one person, you get 100 people and you forgive 99, that one person that you don't forgive will keep you in the hands of the tormentors. I'm not, I'm not teasing. I'm talking about it will affect your finances, it'll affect your health, it'll affect your relationships, it'll affect everything that's related to you. If you've got resentment and bitterness in your heart toward any, anybody. You know, this, this time of the year, hunting season comes in, in in the middle of September for, for archers. And I haven't been out. I'm an archer, but I just, I've been too busy and had a chance to get out yet. But it is not uncommon, and the hunters know this, it's not uncommon I mean, it's, it's, it's a little rare, but it happens enough where we've seen it. That this time of the year, the, the uh, bucks, they lose that little velvet stuff that's on their antlers because they, they grow new antlers every year. And so the bull moose, they, they grow new antlers every year. They drop them, you know, in the winter, and they grow new ones. But this time of year, they lost that velvet, and now they're fighting, you know. It's called the rut, and, and they're fighting. And, and boy, you see a couple of big, heavy deer ramming them antlers together, boom, boom, you know, trying to kill each other, you know, and it's not uncommon that sometimes just the way their antlers are and the power that they hit them, they'll get locked together. And they'll continue to fight and drag each other around, but now they can't eat and they can't drink. And one of them is usually stronger than the other. One will end up dying, you know. Now, he can't, he can't run, he's dragging a dead deer and it's just only a matter of time before the coyotes catch up to both of them and, and consume them. So there's, they, they both die. And, and, and even amongst moose, I mean, it's, it's amazing. That anger, they, it gets them locked up. I'm telling you, anger that we have toward people is very destructive toward us. In the book of Job, chapter 42, verse 10, it says, when Job prayed for his friends... Now, if you've read the book of Job, you find out Job had a lot of problems, a lot of things that had happened, but none of them was really his fault. And he had some friends who came up to try to comfort him. Does anybody know what the Bible, I believe it was in the King James, what Job called his friends? Miserable comforters. Have you ever had somebody come over to try to cheer you up and they just made you feel horrible? It's like life is not even worth living now. They're miserable comforters, you know, trying to cheer me up. And, and it's, I mean, they're horrible at what you're doing, you know. But the, the Bible refers to them, his friends, as miserable comforters. I mean, I'd have felt better if you just stayed home, you know. It says when Job, well, then they had something happen to them because of their misjudging the situation. And Job prayed for his miserable comforters. It says and when Job prayed for his friends... 
The Lord restored his, Job's, fortunes. He wasn't insulting them. He wasn't angry at them. He prayed for them. In fact, the Lord gave him, Job, twice as much as before. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. Now let me ask you, would it be okay if, if God blessed the rest of your life more than he's blessed you up to this point? Would that be all right with you? Yes. Well, deal with anger. Because if you've got bitterness and resentment, God's blessings would be far greater on you. If you deal with the anger issues, the resentment, the bitterness, and all that stuff, God's greatest blessings can be released upon you. But if you've got anger, well, then you're dealing with the torturers. You're dealing with the, the devil has got a strong foothold into your, your household, your family, your, your finances, and, and all that, you know. It says in, in Matthew 5, verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart. In order to have a pure heart, you have to forgive others. If you've got unforgiveness in your heart toward anybody, your heart is not pure. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Now, when things are going on in your life, I mean, difficult things, bad things, we need to see God. But lots of times, if we've got unforgiveness and resentment, when things are going bad, all we see is circumstances, circumstances. We see people and, and what they did and he did and they did and she said and, and all this. But we can't see God. But when things are going down like that, we need to see what God's showing us. We would be so encouraged to see God on the move in our lives during these times. And he says, the pure in heart, you will see God. If you've got anger in your heart towards somebody, you ain't going to see what God's doing. You're going to miss it by a million miles. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose hearts is loyal. One translation says whose hearts is perfect. Another translation says whose heart is pure toward him. God's looking to find a man or woman who has a pure heart, a loyal heart, and he wants to show himself strong in their life. He wants to work miraculous things in their life. But if you've got bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness in your heart, you don't have a pure heart. God's not going to show himself strong on your behalf. That's what he tells us right here. You know, anger and unforgiveness, these things hinder God from showing himself strong in your life. And, and you experience some of the miracles that could be yours. You know, in the book of uh, Acts, chapter 7, and I just challenge you to read 7 and 8 uh, sometime today, but you'll read about Stephen, who was uh, one of the first deacons. He, he waited on tables. He delivered meals to the widows, and he cared for the orphans. I mean, he was just a servant, but he would preach the gospel at the same time. And the religious leaders caught him one day, and, and they were upset with him, and, and so much so that they were going to stone him. And the guy in charge of the stoning's name was Saul. Saul, who we have already learned about, I believe, last week, his name was changed a little bit later on to Paul. But he was responsible for having Stephen stoned. But as Stephen's being stoned, stone, he looked up, and, and he was recounting. He was telling everybody, what he, said. he said, I see Jesus. At the right hand of the Father. Wow. He said, I see Jesus. The pure in heart will see God, you see. He sees Jesus. He wasn't sitting there saying, send fire down on these guys who are stoned. Oh! And when they're stoned, they're using like softball-sized stones, you know? And they're stoning him. And he saw God. And he said, he said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. Remember? 
he had learned because Jesus prayed something very similar. As Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we, we can say the same prayer. Can we not? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. When you look up and around, do you see God every day? No matter what has happened, no matter how bad circumstances are, do you see God on the move in your life? Or do you see, oh, she did this, he did that, they did this? Do you just see situations, circumstances, you see natural environment going on around you? Or do you see God? If you've got a pure heart, you'll see what God. And the things that break your heart, God will turn those around and work them together for good in your life. But if you've got bitterness, you know, it's not going to work together for good in your life. That's just the way it is. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he saw the Father. And you remember what he said? I want us to look there together. I've already quoted, but I want, us, I want you to see it. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you think that would be a good example for us to follow? One, one two people, three? Four? Okay. Walk. Four of you. Okay, that's cool. Why don't we try it right now? And I want you just to pray silently. But I want you to think just right now for a moment. Somebody who you should forgive. Somebody who's hurt you really bad. Almost unforgivable. But they are forgivable because we don't have to have any feelings toward them. The Bible just says do it. It just says forgive them. Because if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. If we don't forgive, we're turned over to the torturers. If we don't forgive, the devil's got his strong foothold in our door. The Bible says that. So what I want us to do is to pray like Jesus did. You just pray silently where you at, but just close your eyes with me for about 30 seconds. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And anybody and everybody who's ever heard us, whatever it is, Lord, we forgive them right now. We forgive those who have hurt us and we ask you to bless them. Almighty God. And we release them. We declare that they're innocent, not guilty. And we hold it not against them anymore. In the name of Jesus Christ. We do this because it's obedience to you, Lord. We forgive all who've ever hurt us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's life-changing. When you forgive, you don't have to have any feelings or emotions with it. You just do it because God said to do that. <clears throat> In Mark chapter 6, verse 2, it says, The next Sabbath, he, Jesus, began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, Where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? To hear the wise things that Christ was saying, life-changing, transforming, and he's working miracles? I mean, you think that would have been inspiration. But in verse 3 it says, and then they scoffed. They'd seen the miracles. They'd heard the wisdom. And then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. Here they are standing before God, and they don't see him as God. It says the pure in heart will see God. They didn't see God. What do they see? A carpenter. Verse 3 says, then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply, what's that word? 
All these people were offended at Jesus. Their heart was not pure, and they did not see God right before them. They saw a carpenter. That's all they saw was a carpenter, and they refused to believe in him. And you know what? When you've got bitterness, you've got anger in your heart towards someone, it's hard to have faith. It's hard to have faith to answer, for God to answer your prayers. You know, you're, you're, you're more filled with doubt and fear and anxiety and worry when you've got anger in you. And not faith, faith that could remove mountains, if you would. Well, now, in the Old Testament, there's a fellow by the name of Joseph. Joseph had a whole bunch of brothers, you know. And Joseph was kind of uh, one of the, the spoiled brothers. And his dad made him a coat of many colors. He was, you know, very young. Dad did give him special treatment. And, off, and his brothers were jealous. They'd work in the field, and dad was just busy just tutoring Joseph and doing special things for him and with him. And one day, all the brothers were out in the field, probably miles away, taking the flocks over there to feed for better grassing and grazing and stuff like that. And dad asked Joseph, he said, I want you to go check on your brothers and take them some food and stuff. So he went there, and they're going, ah, now is our opportunity. They really hated Joseph. He was a spoiled brat as far as they were concerned. And they said, we're going to kill him. They threw him down in a pit, something he could not get out of, like a dry well. He couldn't get out of, and they were contemplating how to kill him. And while they're there, a uh, caravan of slave traders on their way to Egypt came by, and one of them said, you know what? Why do we want to have his blood on our hands? Let's just sell him as a slave. Slaves never last more than a year or two down in Egypt. You know, they build pyramids and stuff. They wear them out. They beat them. It's no big to do. And they took Joseph's coat of many colors. They killed a lamb, put the blood all over, took it back down. Dad, we don't know what happened. A wild animal killed and ate your son. We're so sorry, Dad. I mean, really evil brothers, I'm telling you. And they sold uh, Joseph as a slave to these traders. And they went down to Egypt. And the highest bidder happened to be Potiphar. He was kind of a, a... a powerful, influential man in the community, and he, he bought Joseph, you know. And Joseph, God blessed him. Now, when Joseph was in the pit, now he's in Potiphar's house, nowhere in the Bible does it ever record uh, revenge or trying to get even, uh, uh, you know, addressing his, you know, evil brothers. Nowhere does it say for that. He continued to have visions and dreams, and he saw God. And God blessed him in Potiphar's household. He began to run the whole, you know, estate. And all the slaves were under Joseph's care. The only thing that Potiphar dealt with was his own wife. Everything else, Joseph ran the entire estate. But Potiphar's wife was very interested in this young, strong Joseph. And she tried to seduce him on numerous occasions. And he would flee. And he would, you know, reprimand her. Your husband has been so good to me. Why will you do this evil thing? And she was embarrassed and upset with him. So she falsely accused him of trying to seduce her. So Potiphar had him thrown into prison. Never do you see Joseph bitter or angry or upset, resentful toward his brothers or even toward Potiphar's wife. Now he's in prison, but God blesses him. He maintains a pure heart. Before you know it, before long, he's running the entire prison. The guards have never had it so easy before. He's running the prison. There were some prisoners that came from the king's palace, the Pharaoh's palace there. They had some dreams. 
He interpreted their dreams for them a couple of years past. The Pharaoh himself had a, a very troubling dream, and he was trying to find somebody who could interpret it. And the guy whose dream Joseph had interpreted, he said, hey, here's a guy in prison, and he told me that I would be reinstated back here and working for you, and, and it happened. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. They cleaned him up, and, and the Pharaoh said, can you tell me my dream? And Joseph saw God. He told him what the dream was first, and then he explained it to him. And then the Pharaoh said, who is wiser than you? You have a relationship with God. I give you my ring. You are second in command to me. You rule and you reign here in Egypt. You, because he... Lord, I forgive them. <laughs> no, don't throw them off the balcony yet. Okay. Is that my son up there? Oh, I just see a little tough of hair. Okay, so where were we at? Good morning. Open your Bibles with me. I have to rewind again. So uh, what was I talking about? Joseph was... Uh... Oh, second in command. That's right. Just blew my thoughts completely out of my mind there. But Joseph, you know, uh, he had explained the dream. He talked about this famine. It was going to be like for seven years or something. It was going to be seven really good, awesome years. So Pharaoh said, you're in charge of it. Grow all the crops you can. Store all the ones that you can. And store them in such a way that they'll not be ruined or wasted and all. And Joseph took care of it all. He was in prison one day and second in command. The Pharaoh considered him like a father because he had a pure heart. I'm going to tell you, promotion, advancement comes from God. And if you don't have a pure heart, you are not being promoted like you could be. If you've got an impure heart because you've got unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment in your heart, you, can't, you will not be promoted like you could and you should be. So anyhow, this is what's all taking place right here. And uh, nowhere, I mean, if it had been you, when you got put in command of all of Egypt, you would have probably said, oh, Pharaoh, I need about two weeks. I need to go talk to my daddy and straighten some things out with my brothers. Right? Nowhere did he ever do such a thing. He had a pure heart. God was speaking to him. God was revealing himself to Joseph. It was an amazing relationship. I mean, Joseph was one of the most men of integrity, godly people in the Bible. It's just absolutely amazing. And then the famine hit. And then his, his brothers and his father's crops and everything over in Israel, they begin to die. And, and the dad said, you got to go down to Egypt. We hear there's a wise man down there who sort up all this food and we can buy it. So they went down there, all the brothers, and they bought supplies to feed their animals. And Joseph saw them. Now, he looks like an Egyptian. He dressed like an Egyptian. He never said anything, but he, 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 he was in control, and he did certain things and, and brought them back, and they had to come back again and buy more. And, and th just through the whole course of things, he saw what was going on. Never would he have, a, did he have an evil intention. Never. So let me pick up here in Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. It says, Then Joseph, because he's getting ready to reveal himself to his brothers, he brought him in, has a feast for him and all this stuff. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. 
Joseph had the power to say, I want a million dollars in my hand right now. They would have brought it. If he had said, I want you to kill those 10 people, they would have died instantly. I'm telling you, he had power and influence in Egypt. He could have did anything he wanted to do to his brothers. He could have gotten Ethan. But it says here, then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. He was supposed to be dead. He's this powerful, rich, wealthy, influential man. Verse 4, and then Joseph said to his brothers, come. Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. What's going on in their mind? You know. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead, he said. God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing or reaping and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here. He's telling his brothers, them evil guys. But God sent me. He made me father to Pharaoh. Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Verse 9. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. Now, they got to do some explaining to daddy, don't they? Oh, Joseph, he was killed by a wild animal. Now they got to confess the evilness of their heart. He said, you go back and tell my father, this is what Joseph says. God has made me a lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your households and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father all about the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin, and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. Verse 15, and he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Now, you see, if he'd wanted to get even a revenge, could he have done it? Absolutely. But Joseph had a pure heart. Let's look. Now, dad came, and they, they lived there. They had an awesome time together. Joseph did what he said. He took care of them all. There wasn't a need that they had. And then his dad died in you know, old age. And then the brothers were nervous. Oh, dad's gone now. Oh, I'm in a whole lot. We're in a whole lot of trouble. Now, Joseph, you know, dad's not here. Uh, he's going to probably get even with us. And listen to what Joseph says to them. Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, 
you intended to harm me. Talking to his brother, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You, you did it for evil, but God worked it together for good. What's Romans 8, 28? And we know that God works all things together for good. That is if you've got a pure heart. If you love God and you're living according to his purpose, you've got a pure heart, and God's going to work it together for good. No matter what they do to you or say, God's going to work it together for good for you if you have a pure heart. If you're angry, you're resentful and bitterness, nursing a grudge, it ain't going to necessarily work together for your good. You know, you're in the hands of the torturers. The devil's got his foothold, strong foothold in your house. Uh, it takes faith on our part to forgive. And we must forgive. The Bible tells us to. We must exercise our conscience to be void of offense. Now, I know Judah wouldn't mind me telling you this, but when uh, many years ago, it's probably been 30 33 years or so now, but there were some people who did their best to destroy Faith Living Church. There were some people who did their best to destroy Susan and I, falsely accusing all kinds of crazy things, you know. And in the midst of all that, this drug out for a year or longer, but Judah, our son, just as a little fellow, one day he was sitting on the couch and he'd heard us talking about some of the things and praying about things. Now, I, had, I learned this lesson during that season of my life. I learned how to forgive. That's the first time I ever saw the scripture about exercising your conscience to be void of offense. I learned to do that during that time. And, uh, but Judith had overheard our conversation and he said one day, she said, I wish so-and-so would die. I said, what did you say? This person who was hurting us? He said, I wish so-and-so would die. I said, hold on there. You don't know what spirit that is of. That's not right. And we sat down and I explained to him how we had to forgive because God's forgiven us. And we release that, you know. That's God's business. He deals with all that. That's not our position to do. I explained so he understood. Because, see, I had already learned. I mean, I think Susan and I went through the same situation. I had learned it a little bit earlier. I learned to forgive. It's just kind of like water off a duck's back. But Susan and then Judah would take up an offense for me. It's just like I learned where the traps are at. It's like walking through the jungle. Oh, I see that trap. I just walk around it. But then my family steps into it. So if you start talking about what somebody has done to you and how they hurt you, your daughter, your son, your husband, your wife, your close friend, because how could they be so mean? Ah, those are mean on repeat. And they get angry on your behalf. Although you've learned to forgive, they love you so much. They step in the trap themselves. They're turned over to the torturers now. The devil's got a foothold in their life. You want that to happen? No, you don't. So if, once you forgive somebody, you've got to be really use wisdom to who you tell that story about what somebody had, had done against you because somebody else can get angry and take up an offense on your behalf. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, Father, we ask that you just help those people in need. Lord, it might be somebody that we know. And we ask that you'd help those responding to help those in need. And, and in either situation, draw them closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Not long before she died in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor on television, uh, Marganita uh, Lasky uh, one of our best 
known at that time, secular humanist, uh, avowed atheist, you know, novelist said, this is what she said right before she did. She says, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. You know, an atheist wishing that she could experience the forgiveness she saw Christians have. It's the most important thing on the planet. We're forgiven and we're allowed to go into heaven. And it's so important that we forgive all who hurt us in any way, you know. Uh, so I want to look at this verse once again in Acts chapter 24, verse 16. It says, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense, void of anger toward God and toward man. Now, your conscience, your conscience, I asked Susan, I believe it was yesterday, maybe it was Friday, I said, well, what's your conscience? I've been doing a lot of study on it. I said, what is the conscience? And she said, well, it's, it's kind of like your, it's your knower. I go, oh man, I wish I'd have thought of that, you know? You're a knower. You ever know something? You just know that you know that you know, and, and you're right, but you, you know something in your knower. That's your conscience, your knower, okay? We should call up Webster and say, put that in your dictionary, you know? Conscience is your knower. But if you'll study this whole thing out, you discover that it's, the, it's really the part of your heart and your soul where you sense or you know what's right and wrong. Do you know what's right and wrong? I mean, we're created in the very image of God, and we're talking about our value system, our, our moral awareness. Uh, did you know that people in other countries who've never even heard about God, they have a conscience? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, before you ever heard about God, did you know you shouldn't murder? Did you know you shouldn't steal? Sure you did, you know? And the Bible makes that very clear and plain. But, you know, your conscience is, you just have a sense of right and wrong. I mean, I wish I could give you a picture of that, you know, that sense of, of right and wrong. You know, like, if you can imagine a green sign that says, you know, like, maybe pointing in one direction, right decisions and, you know, okay. Imagine, imagine it with me, this sign. How's your imagination working? You, you can imagine that now? Okay. All right, so this is your conscience. You, you, you just are aware and you have this knowing, you have this sense of right or wrong. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it was that, <laughs> if it was that simple? The right decision, wrong decision. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a road sign that popped up and, and you got to make major decisions in your life? Like, boom, okay, that's the right decision, you know? Would well, you know it can almost, can almost be that way? Are y'all hungry? Yes. Me too. Let's see what we have today. I love sermons when you can eat, you know what I'm saying? Breakfasts of champions, you know? Doritos with Cool Ranch. Oh, man. You should smell this. Oh, man. Now I've already got my volunteer. Thanks. This is your conscience. 
Three sharp points. This is your conscience. It's part of your heart. And when you have anger or when you disobey God, when you sin, it turns one time. Oh, you ever do something and it hurts your conscience? You go back a little bit. You know, I, I'm really sorry I said that. I shouldn't have said that because your conscience bothered you. Because you did something and it's like, it turned, it's on the inside of your heart. It turned, oh, it's sharp points there. But what happens is, if you just maintain bitterness and resentment, unforgiveness toward people, click, 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 click. And you wear the points down. Now, if somebody has to do this, I might as well do it. Hmm. Hmm. I need to get another one. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Got a round of points off. Mm-hmm. And you keep sinning, keep being bitter, keep gossiping, and it just winds all the, it don't bother you no more. You're, you know, your conscience don't bother you no more. And, and some people say, oh, let your conscience be your guide. We're creating the very image of God. And if you're a godly person, yes. But if you just disobeyed God and disobeyed God and disobeyed God and, and you pour the points off of your conscience, don't let your conscience be your guide. And the Bible refers to people who just rebelled against God and they had seared their conscience as with a hot iron. Now, you know, if, uh, from what I understand, if you cook a, a good steak, you throw it on the grill and you sear it. It gets hardened. Just a little thin layer of hardness. You flip it over and sear it on the and it keeps all the juices in. But the Bible talks about searing your conscience where your conscience becomes hard. You don't feel nothing anymore. It's like our nation. We can do all kinds of horrible, terrible, evil things and our nation doesn't seem to be bothered about it no more. They've wore all the points down and they've seared their conscience. No longer does things bother. They don't feel, you know, it doesn't bother their conscience any longer. You know what I'm talking about? <coughs> so this is very much like your conscience. Some little sharp points. If, if you just rebel against God, <coughs> excuse me, it might choke you to death, you know. <laughs> Why did I eat that? Mm. Oh, wow. Oh, I need my object lesson back. <coughs> I lost the other one. Somehow another. <coughs> gotta get one that's got a... Oh, that don't have a good point. I'll save that for later. That one's kind of good. <coughs> oh, well, just so you know... You know, when you come to Faith Living Church, you get a lot of good material. And today, the ushers are going to have bags of Doritos. You don't get a bag. You don't get one, okay, on your way out. <clears throat> and you can eat it, but hopefully from this day forward, <coughs> anytime you see a, a Dorito, you know what I should talk about next week? And use pizza. A slice of pizza is kind of like that, too. Oh, that's a good, I'll think about that one. But... May it always remind you to keep a clear conscience. You must forgive other people. No matter what they, you must forgive them. If you gossip about them, you can be well assured you've not forgiven them. You know, 
You must forgive them to stay away from the torturers. You must forgive so you don't have the devil's foothold in your household. We must forgive so the, the blessings of Almighty God can flow upon us. We must forgive so we can see God and he'll turn around every bad problem. He'll turn it around and work it together for great good. We must exercise our conscience to be void of offense toward God and toward man. Okay, we're going to close one, one uh, scripture and we'll close. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. It says, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. If you've got anger, your conscience is not clear. You've got bitterness, resentment, a grudge, your conscience is not clear. But he says, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately, what's that word? Violated their consciences. They've dishonored their conscience. They've desecrated, contaminated their conscience. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience with anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, you know, nursing that grudge by sin says some people have deliberately violated their conscience and as a result, as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Now, if you could imagine what a ship looks like that has been wrecked, imagine really, really hard. What's that most famous wrecked ship that we call Titanic? And you see on the Titanic, there were 1,500 people who died on that ship. One of the things I remember as a, as a kid hearing about it, you know, the, the people who built that ship, they boasted and they bragged about something, didn't they? God himself couldn't sink this ship. It's got these five, you know, chambers of air. Nothing could ever penetrate all five of them. You know, it's unsinkable. Well, let me tell you something. Your faith is sinkable. If you've got bitterness... If you don't maintain a clear conscience, if you've got anger and, and uh, resentment and bitterness and all in your heart, it will sink your faith. And that's not good. Turns you over to the tortures, lets the devil in your household. You don't want to go there. You want the blessings of Almighty God upon yourself. So what I want us to do right now is just to close in a word of prayer. And I want to remind you, this lesson was for you, but then you take it, you learn it well, and then you share it with other people who you know are bitter, who are angry, and help them get free and not ever be trapped again. Bow your heads with me, if you would. Father, we thank you for your word that sets us free. You said we'd know the truth, and the truth would set us free. We thank you that you've shown us in your word how to be free of anger, how we don't have to be tricked and trapped by the devil no more, but we can be free to live our, our lives in a way that honors and glorifies you and brings people into your kingdom. Thank you, Father. You said that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. We know what his tricks are now, and we're not going to give in to them any longer. Father, I ask that you would bless the men and women in this room, those who are watching online, wherever they might be, and that you would set us all free, all free from the anger, from the resentment, the things that have held us back and hurt us and the consequences of that anger. Set us free, we ask. As our heads are bowed, would you join me right now in a, a simple prayer to reaffirm our faith in Christ? Or maybe you've never welcomed Christ in your life, and would you join us as we pray together and welcome him into your life as, as Savior today? Would you pray? 
Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me and you have made great provisions for me. That's why Jesus died. He gave his life on the cross to wash my sins away. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he's now knocking at the door of my heart. I open that door and I welcome Jesus into my life and I receive his forgiveness and then I forgive everybody who has ever hurt me in any way and I release them and I ask your blessing upon them Lord and I declare that they're innocent thank you for loving me I believe the best is yet to come in my life may your will be done in Jesus name amen and amen you know if on your uh, <clears throat> weekly challenge uh, and if you choose to agree with this maybe you've already done it just check it off and drop it in the tithe box but it just simply says I am determined <clears throat> that my thoughts words and deeds will be Christ like this coming week and I do forgive all who've ever offended me if that's you say, I release them I don't feel like it but I'm doing it because God said to I'm doing it because I don't want to be tortured I'm doing it because I don't want the devil in my household. I'm doing it because I want to see God in the midst of all that's going on. And I want everything to work together for good. I'm obeying God. I'm going to do it. I'm just drop it in the tie box if that's you. And, and know that today you've driven a stake in the ground. So I'm not going to let the devil have a uh, stronghold in my life ever again. No more. And then let's work. Every time God gives us an opportunity to teach others how to be free from the anger that brings such destruction upon our lives. Um, if you prayed with me and you welcome Christ in your life, if you'd go back at the uh, Connections desk, we've got a little gift bag back there for you. It's got a Bible and a movie and some other little goodies that would inspire you. If you're a guest, we have a, a little uh, gift for you as well. Uh, just one of our ways to say thank you for coming. We hope you come back. Uh, so, And that's all free. And just so you know, this whole series, it's like part five now, you can get the whole thing if you want. It's all free. You'll never pay for another CD or a DVD or anything in Faith Living Church ever again. If you want to take some to give some friends, you want to listen to it again, that's available. You can access them online if you want to, but those are available to you all the time. And uh, as we re release you now, if you need some prayer, there will be people all around the altar here who would love to pray with you. And the God who we serve he answers prayer. He surely does, especially when you get rid of the anger from your life. He answers our prayer. He cares about us and he loves us. And then if you would on your way out, just greet one another if you would. And don't forget, uh, if you march with us in the parade, let us know so we can have a t-shirt for you for next week. And I think that's about it, right? Oh, and don't forget, hey, ushers, do we have uh, little consciences to hand out to everybody? Also known as Doritos. Okay. All right. So y'all can take it home with you, put it somewhere where you remember it till somebody comes over and eats it, or you can eat on your way out. God bless you. You are dismissed.